Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, did himself no favors when he embraced the idea that we should learn about critical race theory. At the time, what I said was, I don't mind you studying critical race theory. I mind you implementing critical race theory. But we've seen the military get more woke and woke. And maybe paying attention to these other things meant they weren't paying attention, keeping their eye on the ball, which is how you get Americans out of Afghanistan, because we have left, as you know, Americans behind. And it doesn't matter how Jen Psaki or Ned Price or John Kirby, all different spokespeople for different groups of the government, want to spin it. What matters is we left people behind now that's just one of many many things we have to be looking at in our in our military exactly what burden does the military have here was it their fault or was it really the administration's fault and the military wasn't put in the best position to survive and thrive and build and create opportunity to get everybody out and how could it possibly be that we have a military that is in the best position if we have leadership like the chairman of the joint chiefs mark milley who are not engaged in creating a better military, but rather using a military for social justice purposes. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you guys. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, Tony Katz, and find it all at TonyKatz.com. Congressman Jim Banks joins us right now from the Indiana 3rd District, has introduced an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, known as the NDAA, to ban the teaching of critical race theory in the military. And, sir, before we get to your amendment, you saw Joe Biden speak to the country. The evacuation is over. The greatest airlift in history. We ended the war. In many cases, people seeing it as trying to take a victory lap. What was your take on the president's speech just the other day? Well, Tony, it was sickening. Uh, we still have hundreds of Americans who are trapped behind enemy lines. We have uh, probably thousands of Afghans who actually got a special immigrant visa who are still in the country while they evacuated tens of thousands of Afghans who didn't have a special immigrant visa. They evacuated them. They evacuated the wrong Afghans out of the country, and they didn't bring every American home. And you have the president and the Democrat Party declaring victory. The, the chair of the Democrat National Committee sent out a press release saying that this president did what no other president could do, as if he's some kind of hero. They use it as like a political point, a press release, almost like a, a fundraising shtick. Give money to the Democrats because Joe Biden did what, what uh, Obama and Trump uh, said they would do but couldn't do and, and uh, declared victory, even though they left hundreds of Americans behind. It's sickening. You sit on the uh, Armed Services Committee in the U.S. House of, of Representatives. You are a little closer to this. You having served uh, in, in Afghanistan. We certainly heard of, of people wanting to go back, engage in rescue missions. You tell me, is it even possible for the U.S. military to engage in quote-unquote rescue missions, never mind outside sources and forces? Well, there are some private outside groups who are trying to go in, uh, retired special operations forces who are now civilians trying to go in and, and evacuate Americans. But, Tony, what we're hearing from them on the ground is the, the State Department won't give them clearance and allow them to go in and land and bring American homes back home. It's almost like they don't want it. They don't want it to happen. They want to leave these Americans stranded 
for some reason. I, it doesn't. It's it's baffling. It doesn't make any sense. But furthermore, with with ending the the military mission again, we all we all wanted to bring uh, this war to an end and bring every American home. But the way this administration botched it, leaving a hundred hundreds of Americans behind enemy lines uh, in the wake of. Uh, a Taliban takeover with a with a rise of ISIS, leaving these Americans in a, in a perilous, dangerous situation. Something that's never happened in American history before, and, and Joe Biden is ultimately accountable for it, and he should be held accountable for it. Talk to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana Third District. How much of this is the military not having their eye on the ball versus coordination that should have happened through state? And or the White House, or do I have where the coordination should have been confused? Well, it's a matter of priorities, to your point. I mean, when, when Joe Biden became president on January 20th, he instructed the Pentagon to rid extremism from the ranks. And what happened immediately was the, the military went full force into what they called a stand down. I mean, not, Tony, a lot of people aren't talking about this right now, but, but you can draw the line directly back to the, the stand down. I mean, they spent like the first 90 days on Joe Biden's watch, uh, forcing uh, the troops to go to extremism training and sort of this uh, the, the, the social uh, uh, and political programs within the military. I mean, as I said in the committee last night, I said if, if, if General Milley and Secretary Austin and all these generals would have focused more time on their plans to eva- safely evacuate Afghanistan, spent more time on that than, than, than pushing anti-Americanism, critical race theory, so-called ridding extremism from the ranks, then the situation in Afghanistan, I think, would be a lot different today. I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, you can't, no, nobody can claim that it was not a mistake to close down Bagram Air Base, for example, or to make the decision to evacuate the military before you evacuated Americans and the $85 billion of military equipment that we left uh, behind that fell into the hands of the Taliban. I mean, these are just foolish decisions on the part of the administration, but it also tells us that, that the military was not focused on what they should have been focused on. I mean, that, that's just a fact, and I, I think a lot of it is that a, a mixed-up a mixed set of priorities that this administration set out on January 20th when Joe Biden became the commander-in-chief. So you then set out in the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, offering an amendment, as you said, and I'm quoting you, in the House Armed Services Committee to ban racist critical race theory teachings in our military. So is the issue with critical race theory in the military is that it's racist or that it takes our eye off the ball? Well, it's not just critical race theory. It's, it's, it's literally preaching anti-Americanism to people who put on the uniform and take an oath, just like I did, saying that I will defend and protect the Constitution of the United States of America, knowing that it, it, by taking that oath, just like 13 heroes last week, any of us who took that oath and put on the uniform, we know that we could be sent into harm's way and maybe ultimately pay the, the ultimate sacrifice, right? So at the same time that you're, you're preaching an ideology that tells soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that the Constitution is racist, which is what Ibram X. Kendi's book literally says, that the Constitution is racist, and he had the highest-ranking admiral in the Navy tell every sailor they should read this racist book, uh, this ridiculous book on how to be an anti-racist that's written, that says that America is inherently racist and evil. How, how do you expect men and women to put on the uniform, take an oath and say, swear to uphold, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States of America, and at the same time, 
you're telling them that the Constitution is racist and that America is inherently evil. That is not sustainable. It's not sustainable to, to preserve this great country if you're preaching this anti-American ideology. And there are cases, as you mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, that at, at the military academies, we have examples where this ideology has been taught, even though General Austin, the Secretary of Defense, claimed that it wasn't being taught. It is being taught at our military academies. So my, my, my amendment was simple last night. It says it, it didn't name critical race theory, but it spelled out the tenets of critical race theory. You can't preach an ideology or push an ideology on our troops that tells them that America is evil or fundamentally racist. At the end of the day, not, not, a, not a country that's worth fighting and dying for. This gets into the conversation, sir, talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District. This gets into the conversation of the purpose of the military. And I am one of the people who argues that the military is not a tool for social justice or social change. The military has a specific job and, and purpose. We often also hear about the difference between those men and women serving and those in the leadership. Where does it change? Where does it change from the idea that the people who are actually serving are these good people who love their nation and that when they get into the position of being a general, they lose all sense of, of, of rationality? It, it has to start earlier is my position. Uh, am I right or am I wrong? Well, I mean, it starts with the commander in chief. I mean, the command that we have a we have a tradition in this country where the, the, the United States president is the commander in chief, the civilian head of the military. I mean, it was like a, I talked about this last night in our debate. I mean, by the way, we were, we were in the committee room for 18 hours till about two 30 in the morning. And this was one of the debates that took you know, hours of our time yesterday debate. And it's worth, it's worth hours of our time. But I, I debated this, that, that um, it was like a, a, a light switch went off on January 20th. All this, all this garbage was always out there. Critical race theory was there, but, but when Donald Trump was commander in chief, it wasn't a full frontal, uh, a, attack on the military of of, of social uh, reengineering using the military as a political tool. It just didn't happen when he was commander in chief because he stood against it. But when Joe Biden became the commander in chief, it changed. And furthermore, you have a whole higher higher a hierarchy within the United States military led by you know General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who infamously said in the same committee room that I was in uh, all day yesterday, talked about how he wanted to he was defending critical race theory and how he wanted to know more about white rage, as he put it. If you have the top general in the entire United States uh, military saying that uh, and giving permission to other generals or even junior officers all up and down the, the ranks of the, the, command, the, the chain of command, Tony, you're, you're, you're building a generation of other generals and military leaders who think they can get away with the same thing. That, that's why we got to put a stop to it right now or we're going to see more examples of this type of uh, social engineering, uh, politicization, and anti-Americanism being pushed out on our troops. Are you getting pushback? Are you getting pushback from the uh, members on the on the political left, or, or even members in your own party? Well, it was a party line vote. Um, it, it was interesting last night. I mean, I thought there might be a few uh, Democrats who like to talk like they're a moderate. Uh, when they go back to their districts, who would say enough is enough. I'm going to take a stand uh, for America. I'm going to take a stand against uh, anti-Americanism being pushed on our troops. And it was a party line vote. I think 30, 31 Democrats voted against it. 28, Repo every Republican, even Liz Cheney, who sat next to me yesterday, 
voted uh, to ban critical race theory. So was the that awkward, by the way? Republicans get it. Democrats are defending critical race theory. Was it was it awkward sitting next to Liz Cheney? No, not 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 a, not at all. But it was a long day, eighteen hours. Before I let you go, sir, um, one of the things that we've been talking about about Afghanistan is whether or not we need to rethink the idea in terms of in in regards to foreign policy of uh, forward troops of of light footprints, as Senator Ben Sass and others have discussed. Is this something that we should be seriously considering now in the wake of what has happened, regardless of what Joe Biden has done wrong? Is there a idea that the United States with forward forces and light footprints in multiple spots has to be the standard bearer? Well, we learned over 20 years that nation building doesn't work. We're, we're, not, at, we're, not, we're not in that business. We shouldn't be in that business. It failed. But I've always been a believer, Tony, that if we're going to eradicate ISIS-K, who wants to directly attack America and our allies, then we, we, we need a light footprint of special operations forces in places like Afghanistan to get that done. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean continuing the failed efforts that we've been involved with. And, and frankly, Donald Trump set us down this course to end the nation-building uh, 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 tactics in Afghanistan. He had, he had a, a footprint of 2,500 troops. But if we left special operations forces, counterterrorism focused troops in that region with ISR capabilities, intelligence capabilities, so that we can quickly take out uh, those, uh, uh, especially ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda fighters who want to directly attack America or Americans, then we're in a lot better position with that than where we are today. Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Seinfeld comes to Netflix. I am stunned still that these older shows, I'm not saying they weren't funny, still get the audience. That Friends was a bidding war and and HBO won it and, and everyone's so excited that the whole, I don't know if you've been to Chicago recently, they have the whole Friends experience and people wait online to see the couch where they sat. Look, the show made me laugh, but I don't think I'm standing in line. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. We need 180 episodes of Seinfeld? I'm not anti-Seinfeld. If Jerry was here, I'd talk to him. If Michael Richards was here, I'd talk to him. Same thing with uh, Jason, oh, I forget his last name. George, George Costanza. Jason, oh, can't remember his name. As for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I would talk to her, but man, her wokeness is really a problem for me. It may it makes it difficult, uh, but I would uh, I, I would still I would still talk to her. She does she does make me laugh. She does have a skill set. She's she's proven that uh, there is no post Seinfeld curse. It's just uh, the other two guys couldn't make it work as well as she could. That's all there is to it. But is it that people want nostalgia? Is it that they want something that they're familiar with? I remember Seinfeld went off the air in, in what, 2000? When did it go off the air? Th- okay, so it premiered 30 years ago. 
If it premiered 30 years ago, I mean, the, the, you mean you're you're aiming at people like myself to be a part of it, or is it in enough uh, reruns and syndication that everyone's seen it? I just don't know who it's, who's buying into it. That's what I don't know. I get why Netflix did it. They already have comedians in cars getting coffee. They already have some other uh, Seinfeld stuff. And it's not the only thing Netflix has done. Thankfully, they have brought back Manifest. Have you seen any of the episodes of Manifest there, Producer Ari? Yeah, that show sucks, dude. You know nothing. That show is... is, is... You are so bad at, at what we call being decent. You're so bad at it. It's just such a generic nothing show. Co- trying to it's copy not it a generic nothing show. I will tell you that it does get a little campy from time to time. Of that, there's no question in my mind. Uh, but it's not generic. There's a whole conversation about theology going on. Uh, there, there's a whole conversation about uh, what, what is your purpose and what is your place? Do you take advantage of every day? There is something absolutely there. Watch Lost. It's better. No, no, it's not. Oh, my. Lost, it's, it, it's, it's in many ways the same style of show that the cast goes on for freaking ever. But it's, Lost is not necessarily a better show. What are you, what are you talking crazy I, about? I, I, I can't believe we're having this argument. Go, Don't watch Manifest. For people listening and haven't seen either, watch Lost. Do not watch Manifest. It is a car, it's, it's a bad copy of Lost. And for the people listening to Producer Ari, remind yourself that you're listening to Producer Ari. That does go against me, yeah. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Be sure to like the page. This is Tony Katz Today. The furor over the bill, the new law in Texas regarding abortion has people angry, screaming, yelling. They are absolutely positively apoplectic. How dare the state of Texas figure out a way that it isn't in violation of Roe versus Wade? How dare the Supreme Court engage a 5-4 decision to allow this to stand, this was CNN just yesterday with Jeffrey Tubin. And you got to ask yourself, how do you have this level of just sheer hubris? Said nothing. They have allowed the second most famous opinion of the last hundred years after Brown v. Board of Education to essentially be violated, be, be overrun, but... They haven't even said a word about it, which strikes me as a real blow against the Supreme Court's institutional reputation, aside from the issue of whether this law is right or wrong. If anybody knows about reputations being shot, it's Jeffrey Tubin. And the idea that a, a an opinion has some kind of popularity or notoriety, so did Plessy versus Ferguson. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. How do we explain this bit of legislation? What is it that we're really looking at here? What does it do? 
is another part of the questions in front of us. Representative James White joins us right now. He is from Texas. He is a state representative there in the legislature, also a candidate for agriculture, Commissioner. And, sir, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. You've been taking a look at this. Of course, you are at the front and center of this. How does legislation like this make its way to the Texas legislature, and why move forward with it? Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Katz, for having me on with you this morning. I'm extremely proud to represent uh, my fellow Texans in my House district in East Texas. And how does this legislation come about? Well, I believe the Texas legislature uh, is a result of the people. And the people in Texas, the majority will in Texas, believes that the right to life is, you know, it's, it's a right that's given to us by God. And and government is responsible for protecting these rights. And that's how I think we get to these uh, this, this legislation, sir. But when people look at this and they say, my gosh, you're taking away a, a woman's right to choose. It's a violation of women's rights. It's an attack on, on women, I'm assuming. You've gotten those phone calls like we've all seen that in the social media feeds. How do you respond and how does the legislature respond with that kind of pressure upon you? Well, <laughs> look, um, if you really believe and, you know, I, I see it when I go to hospitals, um, I, see, I, I hear it when I talk to doctors, a heartbeat is an indication of life, okay, and so, you know, making the distinction between this life or that life or this person's uh, belief in some type of individual sovereignty versus the baby being able to live, I just think those are just fa- false dichotomies, Mr. Katz, okay? Um, and so, again, uh, as a member of the legislature, I'm bound by our Constitution That's why I take my oath to the Texas Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. I am also bound by those uh, rights, those God-given rights that come from us, that flow from us, from the Almighty. And this is just where I have to settle. Talking to uh, James White, representative in the Texas House of Representatives, this abortion uh, law, now a law that is sending people uh, out uh, of of their minds. Let's just get into a little bit of it and some of the questions that get asked. um, Before we get into the Supreme Court part of it, some people discuss that the, the legislation allows for things to happen if there is an um medical emergency but not specifically things that happen regarding what is usually thrown out as the uh the exception cases rape incest etc so th- so the question before us is was there a a bit of bargaining that went on in in the texas house about what was allowable and what was not allowable or was the well, overriding conversation as you're discussing it from a from a, a religious perspective if you will uh this idea of look it's about life so what else yeah. do we do here? Yeah, and I'm also from a constitutional perspective. Um, you know, we, we, we have governments that are created by the people in order to primarily preserve life. This is why you have law enforcement. This is why you have a military. 
right? This is why you have different agencies, you know, checking and making sure that nothing bad is flowing through the water is to preserve life. But to your question, uh, Mr. Capps, um, Texas law already defines what is and is not an abortion. A, a, a doctor performing uh, a procedure in the case of the, 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 the uh, life, the me- you know, medical emergencies, the, a medical situation dealing with the life of the mother or the baby, an ectotopic pregnancy, all of that is already covered in, in, in Texas law. That is not considered an abortion. That is, that is a procedure that has been done by a medical doctor when we get into the medical emergency. Let's so move that, over to the, yeah, let's move over to the Supreme Court because okay. if I start getting into the medical of it, I'm I'm in the areas yeah. where I, I, I don't necessarily belong. I think that, that you're still going to of course have the pushback from people who ask about these other things, just like you're getting the pushback uh, mm-hmm. from those people who can't believe that the Supreme Court would allow such a a, a, a thing. Uh, you have uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor saying that the court's order is stunning, presented with an application to enjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and evade judicial scrutiny. A majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand. Was this legislation created to evade judicial scrutiny? Well, obviously not. It's being scrutinized by judicial officers right now. You know, let me just treat this for a moment. Right now, I serve as the House Committee Chair of Homeland Security and Public Safety. It has oversight over law enforcement and things like that, right? Uh, The previous two sessions, I served as chair of the uh, Corrections uh, Committee. has jurisdiction over the entire penal system, the incarceration system, and that deals with the death penalty. I would have to follow those cases. And and I will tell you, um, you know, what we're dealing with here is what they call the shadow doc- docket of the Supreme Court, where they, you know, kind of get these cases and folks want an injunction or some type of restraining order on a certain action. I would follow this docket a, long, a lot where it deals with, with death penalty cases and other cases. And there are hundreds of cases, okay, that the Supreme Court just refuses to hear at that time and allow the case to, you know, percolate through the federal district courts, through the circuit courts, and and back to the Supreme Court if necessary. So, um, you know, I kind of think some of the the language that, that our justices used in opposition was a little conflation, okay? There are cases in federal and state district courts right now in Texas that are that are looking at this piece of legislation. So there is judicial scrutiny happening right now. The court just said we want at least right now to let these lower courts deal with this right now. That's all really this was about. Let me take you to social media for a second and see if. uh... I can ask you, uh, talking to State Representative James White, 
of Texas, also a candidate for agriculture commissioner. Let me see if I can get you to take on directly some of the things that maybe come at you that don't necessarily come at at, at other people. Representative Cori Bush, who represents St. Louis, has said of the legislation that you voted for, correct? You voted for this. Yes. And is now law, and the Supreme Court has decided not to hear the case in that 5-4 decision. She tweeted out, I'm thinking about the black, brown, low-income, queer, and young folks in Texas. The folks this abortion health care ban will disproportionately harm. Wealthy white folks will have the means to access abortion care. Our communities won't. Now, uh, never mind that she refers to abortion as health care. Representative White, you're black? Representative Cory Bush is black, and she's thinking about the black, brown, and low-income people this uh, uh, affects. Your thoughts? Well, um, I think that's tortured logic that uh, uh, Congressman Bush is using. Uh, I'm looking at statistics. Black and brown babies, because, again, we're talking about a heartbeat, which means there's life. There's a human, okay? Uh, Black and brown babies more so black babies, are disproportionately killed or murdered. Their lives are ended disproportionately through this practice of abortion. So um, I think her logic is, to me is quite uh, tortured. Uh, obviously, she's in another state. She represents another state, I believe. We're talking about Texas. I don't know what her state is likely to do once this um, these, these cases, you know, play out. But uh, I'm also concerned about the disproportionate number and, and level, rather, and percentage of black babies that have to succumb to this infanticide. Representative James White of Texas, state representative, also candidate for agriculture commissioner. Sir, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. All the best to you, I'm sure, and I hope we speak again soon. Hey, thank you so much for this opportunity. God bless. Absolutely. Take care. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. So the Colts have now activated Ryan Kelly, Zach Paschal, and Carson Wentz from the COVID-19 list. Was that, was that two weeks? Was that 10 days? What was that, two and a half days at the most, Producer Ari? It felt like it just happened, yeah. It was on, it was off. Oh, my gosh. So the, the um, selfish, awful, despicable Carson Wentz off the COVID-19 list. Poor Greg Doyle. Now, I, I will tell you, I told Producer Ari I was going to put that out as a tweet and then held back. I was like, I was going to put that out as a tweet because I just think Greg Doyle, the Indianapolis star, has been ridiculous in his anger towards Carson Wentz, all because we don't even know. We don't know if he's vaccinated. I don't care. It's up to him. And you listen to the Colts, man, are they walking around this, walking around this? They they clearly have a take. It's clear to me that Chris Ballard, the general manager and, and, and Frank Gregg, the coach, Want everybody to be vaccinated, but they're just boo, 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 boo. They're, they don't want to step on anybody. People have rights, and we try to respect everybody. We try to respect everybody. And Doyle has just gone out of his head, 
out of his mind that if you're not vaccinated, clearly you're going to get everybody who wears blue killed. Everybody in Indianapolis will die in a second because Carson Wentz isn't vaccinated. He made a choice. Oh, he's selfish. Oh, he's despicable. I, I, I don't think fans see it that way. I think when the NFL lectures to us about wokeness and racism, I think they're being ridiculous and they're hurting the fans. You know what they decided? No. Guys like Doyle certainly decided that. That is a, 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 a serious level of disagreement. But, but this is the end of times? Good Lord. It, it is to, to watch the anti-privacy zealotry take place. What if Carson already had COVID? If he has natural immunity, there is no need for him to get vaccinated. It doesn't matter if some sports guy decides to yell at him about it. And it's not necessary for Carson Wentz to tell us. Carson, we've never met. My name is Tony Katz. How are you? We don't need to know, man. We don't need to know. We don't need to know. Here are the things we need to know. Mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? We need to know. We need to know, Carson. Immediately, if not sooner. What else, what else do we need to know uh, there, there, producer Ari? What else would you like to know from, from Carson Wentz? Can you Pineapple on pizza, drills? yay or nay? We need to know. We need to know. The correct answer is yay, by the way. It's fine. It's your pizza. Don't tell people how to live. Um, and what else, producer Ari? What do you need to know? If you can run the two-minute drill. Oh, can you run the two-minute drill? Okay, if we want to talk about work-specific, Producer Ari, sure. Can you run the two-minute drill? These are the things that we need to know. The pineapple on the pizza, the two-minute drill. What was my first one? I forgot what my first one was. Mayo or Miracle Whip. Oh, Mayo or Miracle Whip. Hot damn, get it done. By the way, there is only one answer there. There's only one answer there. Uh, uh, if, if, if you have to question it, you, have, you don't have the right answer. So these are the three things. Your health status? Uh, no, man. Look, what you do with your doctors between you and your doctor, we're cool. But welcome to Indianapolis, man. Hope it's a great season. Really and truly do. These people who are oh, you're calling you selfish, a hater. Uh, obviously, uh, Greg Doyle was going after Wentz and Ryan Kelly and Zach Pascal and Darius Leonard for their choices. So all of a sudden, we uh, he actually wrote um, that, uh, where, where is it? These guys, for whatever reason, have decided to ignore every credible bit of scientific evidence to listen to crackpots or despots or whatever voices try to tell them you know better than every credible epidemiologist in the country. Hell, do these guys even know what an epidemiologist is? Holy cow, just a bunch of dumb jocks, right? They need you, Greg Doyle, to save them. Can I tell you, I take grief from people like somehow I'm leading people down the wrong path or I'm giving out bad information. We check, we double check, we recheck, we give a point of view, we back it up. Good Lord, do these guys even know what an epidemiologist is? Anybody who gives an interview to the Indie Star is out of their head. How insulting. How insane. Because they see something differently than you? Or, by the way, not. We don't know. 
You just demand that they tell you everything. That's the problem with guys like Greg Doyle. It's elitist snobbery, and they wrap it up in this pseudo-intellectualism as if somehow they're providing a value. There's no value. It's just ugliness. You just call them dumb jocks. I wouldn't do an interview with the guy. I, I wonder what the Colts are going to do. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. I'll do the interview. Come on over here. Catch you next time. Tomorrow, everyone.